Maybe you should try it on the tablet. I bet you could do the Hangout on a tablet if you plugged in a headset. Just saying. I, I've done a Hangout before. I don't know how the, the audio quality would be, though. Hey, have we ever hung out before? Was yeah. that a toilet flushing? All right, that's it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Please. November 7th, 2012, episode number 32 of Yats. It's yet another tech show. Yet another tech show.com slash live. Watch us live in the chat room on the Hangout. Hangout. I'm Matt Lee. Join me tonight, Ant Pruitt. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, everyone? Larry Press. Buenas noches, senores. Mike Rothman. Hey, guys. Good to see you all again. The crew back. Good to see you. In, in, during during the vote apocalypse or whatever the the Daily Show called that that fiasco yesterday election day here in the Man, U.S. I expected to be half asleep tonight because last night was supposed to be a late night, but our brother Obama <laughs> wiped the board early on, and we are good for another four. That's four weird. See, years. you must have been looking at different. Um, were you watching on TV? Because I was, I was just on the internet. And Larry, you posted something interesting about this. How did, how did you? And maybe we can throw this out to our listeners. If you guys want to drop a comment on the the hangout or, or on the site or just email us, the crew at yetanothertexture dot com. How did you consume your election information, your data points, your your coverage? How how did you do that? I, I was really just using my Android device, Google Now. I said, hey Google, and it said bling. I said, election results, and it said, bling, and then it popped up, this awesome, and actually, if you guys are watching live, I can probably show you what this looks like, but they had, it wasn't a Google Now card, but they had, like, prefabbed information that was fed from, I think, the AP's latest updates or whatever, and it was really easy to view, and it just showed you what you wanted to know right away, just at a glance, basically. And uh, that, that's how I consumed it. What would you guys do, Larry? Is that well? Let me ask you first. Is that still live? Yeah, yeah. I'll show you guys here in a sec. Do it and send a screenshot. I'd really like to see a screenshot of it. Here's what it. If you guys are watching uh, the hangout, here's what it looks like. No, it's it's just, it's just loading. It's gonna be. I know it's slow because we're streaming and we're recording and people are probably there hitting it. it. That's go. nice, but. Yeah, so you see this. It shows the balance of power in, what is that, control of the House, control of the Senate, and then it tells you when it was last updated, and then it shows the electoral votes percentage of the candidate. I, it's hard to see here, but yeah. You, get- right, you know what that looks a lot like is the uh, is what NPR had at the top of their screen. I noticed they, this they had format. They like a summary like that at the top of the screen that looks fair. Uh, if you just that. did a Google search on on a regular web browser for election results, you got this what they showed you here, but in a much larger, much you know, much more informative, and they had different tabs that you could track different things and trends and explore and insights. Like it was really, 
it was interesting to see technology applied to this <clears throat> because all elections are just a massive amount of data points. It's, how are people voting? And so you can get a lot of, it, I don't know. It was interesting to see what people were doing with the information that was there. Hey, Matt, but one I, thing I appreciate it if you'd send the either screenshots or better URL for what you're just talking. About. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll open it on my tablet and take better screenshots for you. So they're bigger. Yeah. But, uh, just send the URL too. Cause <clears throat> I did, like you said, I did a blog post on this. Well, today. Google had a I whole like campaign tracker debate thing. They had it. If you go to, I don't know what the page is, but just Google election results and there'll be a thing that says show more and hit that. And that opens up their whole election was, center. But it, it was really interesting. It was from Google. It wasn't from somebody. Else. Well, it was, it was, no, it was Google working. I think the, the Android app, what it was showing was from the AP. What they had on their full website was a partnership between Google and CNN. I believe here, I'll, I'll bring it up. And it'd be interesting to see if they were sure. AP was feeding the NPR one too. Maybe AP's behind all. Well, of and if you notice, all of the sites, the Huffington Post did it. They all had this similar real-time result kind of, you know, image or graphic where it showed the names and it showed basically this. It was duplicated on multiple sites, but they all had their kind of uh, personal touch to it, or they would show you different things. I know the HuffPo, for example, had one just for marijuana. There were a lot of, there were like four or five different states doing different things with that. So they put them all there and showed in real time how they were voting and what percentage of votes had been counted. So it was, I was switching between the Google Now one for the main election and then the the HuffPo uh, marijuana one. It was really interesting to watch, though. Yeah, uh, two states passed marijuana, Colorado and Washington. Marijuana yeah, but they they did it, and I don't, we shouldn't really talk too much about this. But they did it at the state level. Federally, it's still Schedule One, and the feds have already come out and said, "The like we're gonna come after you, so try it." But whatever. Moving on. You know, I, I watched re- election returns the old-fashioned way. I don't watch a lot of television, but there was something about get, you know sitting in front of the television and having it on and watching the election coverage and. In, our case, we watched the PBS NewsHour anchors and their analysts, uh, you know, walk us through the night. And then at the same time on a laptop, I was following the New York Times. And I think the Times did an extraordinary job of uh, providing real-time multimedia information uh, over the course of the night. The Times has evolved into, I think, the most awesome news source on the, the web, which is amazing considering their old technology roots. I saw a lot of pictures on Google Plus of people's setups. Like they would, it was usually a television yeah. screen and then it was a tablet and then they had their phone and then they had like a laptop and maybe, you know, a dual screen setup for that. And each screen though had like a different signal coming in, a different line of information coming in that you could you know, arrange in a sort. It was really kind of interesting to see. It's, you know, we haven't always been so saturated with this kind of technology to, uh, during an election. I mean, last, last time there, there was, they started using Twitter and started social networking and we kind of saw the birth of it. And this time right. I, you know, we were more established. The servers were more robust. We didn't really see any, I don't think did Twitter didn't go down that I noticed. I mean, I wasn't really watching it all that closely, but it, 
it didn't seem like anybody had too many problems. And what I also really liked, I, I was trolling on Google Plus and I saw someone was like, hey, Comedy Central is live streaming the Jon Stewart show and the Colbert Report doing their election uh, with Indecision 2012 coverage. So I, I started watching that on the laptop and then watching the thing on the on the tablet, the the Google app. But I thought that was interesting that Comedy Central chose to live stream it as well as have it aired on on television. And I bet a lot of people watch it because I saw that link all over Facebook. I saw that link all over Google+. Mm -hmm. And that was the only television coverage of the election I watched was Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert. Thank you. I had a much simpler approach myself. (laughs) Am I uh, echoing? You slept? No, I didn't sleep. <laughs> Don't sleep on the elections. No, I sat here and, and watched Netflix on the Google TV. And earlier in that day, Dan Patterson, you know, he, he used to work with ABC. Um, he tweeted out their Co-point. ABC live feed. Yeah, now he's CoPoint. Yeah, um, he had us on one of his shows. So I think me and right. you and yeah. Good stuff. And um, he um, he tweeted out a, a live feed from ABC that'll take you to the YouTube stream coverage and whatnot. So I had that when I saw it on the computer and added it to my watch later um, channel and my YouTube account. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm watching Netflix and an episode of Arrested Development went off, I just did the typical Android multitasking feature and switched over to YouTube and pulled it up and was able to look at the the tally for the votes and whatnot and when i had enough switch right back to netflix and you know that was the other thing i wanted to mention too on top of all of these interesting forms of of infographs and data and real-time signals coming in we also as viewers we got to choose from our favorite internet personality and we got to watch what they were saying about it like you said dan patterson had one there there was a ton of people like that youtube personalities and all that doing live coverage in their yeah. own little way uh you know all all of it. it was kind of interesting to see it you know cuz that it 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 wasn't just fox news and cnn it was more real to me it felt like it was what i would prefer to see rather than what the mainstream media was feeding there, there, were also, there were a bunch of uh, local TV stations that were doing Hangouts. And yeah, I, I Hangouts was huge for this. And one from somewhere else. But they were boring. Uh, it, was, it was more gruesome. It's bad enough to listen to ABC's you know, pundits, which uh, I got tired of. But just hearing regular people pundits, that, that's even worse. I watched, a, I watched for a few minutes a Hangout of a, a news, news station here. Well, not necessarily here but here in north carolina and i'm not going to say their name but this was their their coverage of it you know to try to use the google hangout this was it they're like we heard about this internet thing we don't like it (laughs) that was it they just stared at the camera looked at the teleprompter come back and stared at the camera you gonna add any content to this hangout do you feel like i saw the ones i saw they have three two or three citizens Shooting the breeze with this, um, you know, like a news guy. <laughs> but check, was, check this was, out. It was more cringeful than listening to the fun bits on ABC. Yeah, it's guys. Do you guys feel like if we were given a full-on TV studio with internet access, we could produce something so much better than what they were trying to do? Absolutely. Hands down. Hands I mean, down. 
You guys are pros. What's up? The talking pundits and stuff is is just boring. And a lot of it's about things I don't care about. So it's got to be interactive. My favorite thing was the, the NPR map. Because I could click and see what I wanted to see. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And not only were you were you, you weren't just stuck in your place or your region, like you could look at what everyone was doing. Right. Did you guys get commercials, Larry and, and, and Mike? Did y'all get commercials? Yeah, the ABC stream had commercials. I I'm not sure if you know I didn't. I was in my office, so I, I don't know if it was happening at you know in synchronous time with the TV stream or what. But it was just a you know three or four pundits sitting around a table and they, a statistic would come up and then they'd talk about what it all meant. I, I, to be honest, I gave up and I didn't like it. It was boring. So I went to the, I settled on the NPR clickable map. Hmm. Do you guys kind of, no, I I didn't, I didn't get commercials. I I, PBS was not running commercials and well, the the New York times, yeah, there were, there were ads on the New York times site, but they're unobjectionable. You know, yeah, ABC had regular video, you know, ads, video ads, which maybe were going out on TV too. Yeah, kind kind of moving, uh, moving. Ahead, uh, I was just going to move us forward a little bit. I I did want to mention we we've seen how kind of social networking and social media is making uh, everyone's lives more public, whether they like it or not. And there was an interesting study off of Politico that came out that showed that. Facebook and Twitter users divulge their votes online. And usually, I don't know, I always think of that Dave Chappelle skit where he talks about being a white person and talking about politics and just being like, ooh, Dave, ooh, no. And like, <laughs> nobody, that's like, I first thing I think, like, nobody, taboo, yeah, right? And then he, yeah, well, you know the rest of how that skit goes. But, like, <laughs> nobody wants to say who they voted for or if they voted or not. But with social media, I saw a lot of people talking about it and putting it out there. So I wanted to ask you guys, do you, is that the technology driving that? Or is it people kind of embracing, you know, just being more open and public about things? That is the weirdest phenomenon because I noticed it, too. I could go to people in my office place and say who you're voting for and I'll get the whole standard Whoa, HR line Dave. of no we don't we don't do that here in the office we don't talk politics or whatever and I'm like okay well dude we're at lunch you know tell me who you voting for and they won't do it but I'll go at their Twitter feed or, or, or Google Plus or whatever and see it later that night that hey I voted for so and so yeah like, yeah yeah <laughs> exactly you didn't want to tell me Where, face to let face, me but you want to tell a lot of people behind a, a network let know? me ask you guys it this way if, if back before social networking maybe mike and and larry and even aunt uh would you go to a friend's house who had a pregnant wife and like would you guys sit down and she would start showing you pictures of her pregnancy and everything because that's another thing that you see on social networking sites more and more is pictures of you know just full-on like here's my pregnant belly what's up you know no, that, that still freaks me out i, I feel like that's it. another kind of thing like <laughs> the voting thing it's like you know we didn't used to do to that the pregnant belly pictures <laughs> right like stop it <laughs> kind of look away but it's, it's, about, it's like the, ultrasounds or external shots both external, i mean everything uh, what i see i normally see the external belly shots out there yeah uh, you, you know I think there's been a generational shift for particularly for those of us that are on the net or on involved with social media, that sort of stuff. 
why not talk about your political views, at least outside the office? And I agree with you that the office is still sort of protected space, but outside the office, why not? Yeah. You know, I, gosh, if you look at my Twitter feed or my Facebook feed, you're going to figure it out real quick. Yeah. I'm not I mean, sure, don't get I'm me not wrong. Sure I'm not, but I let mean, me ask I'm you, Mike. Personal person, so I didn't really care, but it's just interesting that people would share, like Matt was saying, they would share it on their social media stream to a gazillion different eyeballs. But yet, if I ask them man to man over a cold beer, they get all hush hush on me. But let me ask Mike, do you were you like that in real life? Like are you open to talking about that stuff in real life or did you just start that because of the social networking? Well, I I think it's it's evolved. I think 30 years ago I probably would have sort of tightened up and not not wanted to talk, not wanted to tell people how I voted. If you were asked, though, or just like, hey, by the way, I voted this way. How did you vote? Like, if you were approached and asked, you would be more open, but you're not going to just come out and bring it up, right? Thirty years ago, I wouldn't have offered it. I wouldn't have brought it up. And if someone had asked me, I would have I would have recoiled a little bit. You would have said, whoa, Dave. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got to tell you, I... That sure wouldn't have been my experience. How, how are you, Larry? Like, I, I was how, always knowing how I felt, and I don't know how they felt it. I can't relate to that at all. You had Less, like long hair and dreadlocks and played frisbee. I was, I was one of the. I was the founder of the Peace and Freedom Party, and everybody that I knew do it. Larry, I invented the phrase right. 420, yeah. guys. Venice, California. Um, God, that's so night, awesome. During the election, I was having. I was in class, but hey, we. Uh, you know, I came to the end of the thing. We we followed it, and when they announced for Obama, the whole class cheered. Did you discuss it then with your students? Is like I an said, open you know, forum for discussion, or I just kind of when when they when the guy said Obama won, you know, everybody cheered, including me. And did the, everyone like pause? Fox and... News even said he, he wanted. Oh, it's in the bag now. Did yeah. everyone look around to make sure, like, we're all like, are we all on the same page? <laughs> I was thinking afterwards. <laughs> we all friends here? Romney supporters that were feeling like crap. And it was kind of inappropriate, but none of us could help ourselves. <laughs> all of the teachers <laughs> without say, you know, tenure just feeling it? But, hey, that's really cool because I'm part of the 47% or something. <laughs> I could see that in a classroom. You know, This reminds me of a related thing that talking about these kind of mores. I lived in Sweden for a couple of years. And when I got to my institute where I was going to be, I walked in and they were having kind of greeting me and everything. The the first question out of this first guy I talked to his mouth was, how much are they paying you? Are you a shill? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was, I think it was probably. In retrospect, it was probably, whoa, are they paying this American guy more than me? But I found that in Sweden, people talked very freely about how much they made. It wasn't a big secret like it was here. Mm-hmm. When I think, I don't know, personally, I think tran- more transparency yeah. is a good thing like that. I don't know. Maybe All I know good. is I got football season back. I'm glad that they will finally get their litter off of our highways and billboards and whatnot. Yeah, that gets old. You, guys, you know, you got, did you, is, was Montana, a, were either of you guys in contested states? 
No, Montana's red, dude. No. Have you, have you seen the Google <laughs> election results map? <laughs> let, let me show you. Yeah. Mine is red. Yeah, so we didn't get many presidential things here. But is it funny that we all live in red states, but, I mean, we we didn't oh, vote yeah, for I, Romney. I live in blue states. But, I mean, uh, those the two of us that live in the red states, like, neither of us voted for Romney, whether we yeah, did Obama or, or Gary Johnson or whatever. Like, it wasn't. That's funny to me. Not to the guy who worked. Anybody with. vote for Roseanne Barr? No, but I heard she got a few votes. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie. I almost wrote my name. What in. would happen? Let me let me pose this. Riddle me this. What would happen if the internet got together and was like, biggest joke ever? We all vote for her, and she actually gets elected. Like how? What would that do? I mean, yeah, I'm just saying, like, the internet's done stranger things, you know. If they can get together and drop a Scientology site, like, you know, everybody, they could... Everybody would have their own reality TV show. You know, that would be a given there. <laughs> right there, right there, that'd be the start of it. Fantastic. So, uh, any other final thoughts before we uh, move on with this? Good. No, just glad football season's back. That's it. All right. I got, let me ask you one question. Is this going to have any implications for the you know technology world or regulation? Any thoughts? Well, I've been you seeing if... look at CISPA and SOPA stuff still. Um, that stuff's not going to die. Yeah, but that was the first. I think they've learned to be way more conniving in the way they present uh, crappy legislation like that. <laughs> yeah, the word I hear, I, and I guess I heard this like on... Uh, this week in tech is that uh, the, the next time uh, the, 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 the money has been paid and next time the industry is getting its legislation. The congressmen have been bought. <laughs> they have been bought. <laughs> I have been seeing a few articles circulating around about like, like numbered lists, the top eight or the top five. And the, the one in particular is this one from Wired. Uh, the eight missions that should dominate Obama's technology agenda, and that's the the phrase I kept hearing is is technology agenda. What what is what are his top five uh, things to do in his technology agenda? And I don't know, like they they list things like get to work on immigration reform because of how technology has made the world a much smaller and more open place. And uh, even I think it, it might have been triangulation. It was one of the Twitch shows, but they had on this guy that was doing. A, he was from blue seed i think or maybe it was a uh, big picture science one of them had a guy that started blue seed and basically he has a, a or he wants to start a ship in the middle of international waters that these vcs and these developers and everyone can go to work and not have to mess with getting work visas and so it, it he said most of his people are from india and then from like you know switzerland from from spain i mean there's people from all over the world that want to come and work with these American, you know, companies or coders or developers or whatever, but they can't because of the, the work visa. So he's starting. It's called Blue Seed. I mean, you can look it up. It's it's pretty interesting how they, they uh, they're, describe they're it. They're gonna work on a big ship. But I think it was on the latest episode of Big Picture Science, the the SETI org uh, podcast. But well, yeah. remember, some guy tried to set up a. a independent country on an island off the coast. Well, this of isn't a country. It's just it's like a. What are those things called? Not a think tank, but it's the shared work space. Yeah. 
and people will go there for like a month at a time and and technology incubator kind of yeah yeah it's shared workspace like they do it in big cities new york does it like where everyone it's an open work environment where you know you have five or six different companies all using the same office resources but working in a group and it's that but it's in international waters so instead of just being all american people it's worldwide and so better ideas come and everyone works together and all that blah 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 Sounds good. Connectivity so, be hard. So that was that was their first thing. Uh, number two, they say set some policies on privacy and personal data, which is a pretty interesting one. I'd almost say maybe that should be number one if we're ranking them. Uh, and then number two for me would be better math and science education, more funding for research. They say number three, four is political reform and end to partisan bickering. Which yeah, fat chance. Good I, luck on that one, right? <laughs> don't you think maybe this election sends a message that uh, no, you don't think so? Five the, internet freedom. The people in Montana are are not not uh, impressed. People, I'm amazed that like some people learn to tie their shoes every. I mean, it's number uh, five, internet freedom. <laughs> number six, just stay out of my business. Number seven, barring that a well-defined business climate would be nice. Uh, disco pants, other political issues. Now you're just being silly. Hey, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I want one thing from the administration in the next four years in terms of technology, and that is a ser- seriously a broadband strategy that takes us from, like, number 34th. You know, globally. Mike, if, if there was only a company trying to do that, that they could yeah. look at... Who do we know that's ah? I'm, yeah, I'm picturing the Wizard of Oz. To put something together. I'm picturing yeah, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what we need. We need the government out of it, and and Google allowed to. Uh, I wrote in Google it. for president personally. I just put Google. <laughs> Was that? Did you want Larry or Sergey? Uh, just Google in general. <laughs> but then for vice president, to keep Google honest, I put Apple. So, you know, I'm just, oh, there you go. just, that's, that's the I'm there, just saying, you know, you got to balance yin and the yang, yang, the light and the dark side. Just saying. <laughs> Not going to tell you who's who, but you'll figure it out. Uh, so, all right, let's talk about distractions. Uh, Valve is coming out. With a Linux beta for what is this, uh, Ant? Well, um, gamers they're familiar with the Steam platform. Basically, it's a platform online that allows you to play your computer um, video games. And instead of going out and buying the different discs at your GameStop or other retailers, they let you download it directly from them and store all of the files there and store as well as store your your records on your local machine. I remember first using this, I think it was Half-Life 2. Yep, was that's right, first... Half-Life. Yeah. And, um, Interesting Steam way really, to do it because really they started offering like side games or demos, and it was a, a good way for them to reach a whole bunch of people yeah. and to kick out things without, like you said, having to go to the store and, and, and get it. Yeah, Steam offers so many different little indie games on the side for like two bucks or free or whatever. And, and it's still with, with great quality, you know, far as coming down from their pipe, it could be a 
three gig file, but you get it there within, you know, a couple minutes. And um now you, you for people like me that's on a Linux machine, I have to dual boot if I want to go and play one of my Steam games and play it on Windows and they also have a Mac client. But now that I got a Linux client in beta, I'm pretty excited about it because I don't necessarily have to shut down and boot into Windows and or even try to use the Windows emulator on side of Linux called Wine. And we've just, I mean, every Linux user knows that there hasn't been the greatest support just for gaming in general. And didn't, didn't I saw you post something on Google Plus about, uh, what was it, NVIDIA? And some other groups like coming out and being like, "Look, we know this sucks right now, and w- but we're we're promising that we're going to make it better. We're going to work on it or focus more resources on on the Linux side of things." Well, Nvidia they had their hands tied a little bit because of Mr. Linus Torvalds several months ago putting them on blast. I don't know if you remember that. The finger, I I thoroughly yeah. remember. <laughs> You know, they've been a little busy with dealing with that because it's it's NVIDIA drivers are a pain in the butt to deal with on a Linux machine. I, I have a NVIDIA card. I also have an AMD card, but I like my NVIDIA's performance better. And if you're making games for Android, I mean, that's... You got, you got to have NVIDIA. There you, you know, go. So, so it, they, they, they knew to step their game up. I'm glad they did. Um Still haven't seen anything yet. I I put in my little request for the the um, beta from Steam, and hopefully I'll see something back from them in a day or two, and maybe I get to test it out. Very cool. Are there any games that they've come out with? They, it says here that uh, the beta kicks off with twenty six titles, twenty six games, free and to play. Team one Fortress of my favorites two. is Team Fortress Two. It's a classic, classic death match. Just yeah, I've had that game. I don't know, almost ten years. That now. game was interesting like- because the first iteration of that, it was one of the first that I remember, the first multiplayer death match or team death match games that had different classes. You weren't just right. here's your machine gun now go kill. You could be a sniper or be an engineer or be something else like it, and it it kind of gave the gameplay a new feel to it because instead of just everyone everyone for themselves running around you actually kind of work as a team you had to work name. as a team and yeah i thought that was kind of cool when it first came out i love that game it's the graphics on it are just sort of basic almost like but it Norman plays so smooth it's, it's so beautiful though and so you can fun. play a map with like a hundred people in it and it runs smooth because it's yeah. not like realist i mean it's it's as real as it needs to be, I think for for what you're doing, it. you know. I love it. That's the first. That was my first um, first person shooter game that I got into. And the I'm original still one that, at it, that came with Half Life One, or I got in. I got Half Life Two. Or was that Counter Strike? What am I thinking of? That might have been Counter Strike. I'm thinking of. I don't know. It's been ages. But yeah, I'm I'm excited about that, and I know our man over at a new domain, Chris. Christopher Poirier, he's excited about it too because he's a big gaming nut, and um, he was wanting to see how it worked out for the Linux community as well. But I like the way Valve put it. They say, "Hey, we want you Linux aficionados, you know, to try out this beta. Don't just be some noob." <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Like when you send us a report, kind of send us a report, right? Yeah. I mean, when you put in the application, they ask you fairly 
decent questions about okay what kind of system are you running what distro are you running right you know but they they want to make sure you know what you're talking about i'm not running a black computer you know i'm not running a white computer it this you know and i'll say as far as as far as betas and stuff like that goes i i mentioned two weeks ago on attack of the androids for my app pick was a shadow gun dead zone and it was a free public beta of shadow gun but a multiplayer online deathmatch and that and is a fun game. By I the way. have not stopped playing, dude. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I've been like I, I may. It's like my goal to just be first at the end of every match. And so far, man, I'm. Killing I don't stand it. a chance at it. My screen is usually bloody. Are you? What are you using? <laughs> I, I find it very. I, it's hard to play on my phone. I tried it. I put it on the no, Galaxy on Nexus. I can't. It's on my Nexus Seven. Every Definitely. time I hit the button, he's like trying to reload. I'm like, no, shoot! But on the on the Prime <laughs> on the on a bigger tablet, it's such a great game. And yeah. that stuff, like, I mean, they tell you, don't you know, you, if you build up your character, it's gonna go away. And and that happened to me like twice. I, I'm like level eight, and then all of a sudden I log in, and it's like zeros. I'm like, huh, mm-hmm. okay. But it's free public beta, and it's free. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It it has great Linux support as far as being Nvidia and being on this Android tablet. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. For a beta, it's awesome. I have, like I said, I've I've been playing it. I'm stuck. I went back to play the original Shadow Gun, and I'm stuck at the end where you got to fight the the dude in the robot thing. I'm just like, forget it. <laughs> it's so hard. It just kills me every time. I'm like, back to deathmatch, poning noobs great <laughs> but the it's only the game it's the more they get this in check though when the ouya gets ready like that'll yeah. be huge for that too i mean yeah all around you know, and, good stuff and also the wiki pad was was just yeah. released last week wasn't a it a bit overpriced i think when but you yeah. can the, the witch pad it's the wiki pad yeah we mentioned it a long time ago it's We've been seeing a wave of Android gaming tablets, but that have like either a controller that you can slide the tablet into, so it gives you a controller, or it's the pad itself is like a controller type of thing. It's just made for gaming. But the first ones that we've seen, the Wiki Pad, and I forget what the other one's called, but they're they're really expensive. But they're yeah. they're cool, I guess. I don't know. I, I'd rather have a Ouya than a tablet with a. So you'd rather have a console? Well, I like playing on the tablet, and as soon as I get, you know, a, a, like a PS3 controller or some some random Bluetooth controller that's not my Galaxy Nexus, it, it might be mm-hmm. better. But I don't know. I'm yeah. getting pretty good on the touchscreen. Like it, it takes getting used to. If you come from console gaming or anything like that, and you start to game on your tablet, like you suck at first. It, it's so weird not having buttons or tactile feedback, and you you do the drift. Your finger yep. just drifts up before I you know it. That. You're like up here trying to move your guy. I, I find myself just sort of walking in a circle, you know. But, but you notice out. the good games, the games that are well done, use the follow. So no matter where you are, if you're on this half of the screen, it's going to move you. So it's yeah. it's getting there. So it's all right, enough stuff. of enough of this nonsense. Uh, tell us about the year of the mook, Mike. Well, it, you know. This is a takeoff on a New York Times article that I just find fascinating because I'm generally interested in the subject. That I, I think it's just worth noting that online, massive online educational programs are exploding around the internet. 
you know, a, a course maybe teaching how to code a, a, a search engine uh, that might have uh, a year ago been given in a classroom somewhere to uh, 20 graduate students. Uh, now it's being given online to 150,000 people. Oof. Uh, and this is happening. Uh, the, 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 the thrust of this move is really the best of the American uh, universities. Uh, Stanford, Penn, Harvard, Yale. Uh, uh, the, the CSU system is involved in this all over the place. So I bet it's a it's a trend I've been following. I know Larry Press is very involved with uh, this as an as an internet movement. Larry, what are you seeing? Well, kind of a lot of what you're seeing. One thing I would hasten to add when you say like people have been doing the first MOOC I took was I just wrote about it. I think it was 1986. Wow. And they did, but they didn't catch on until um, Stanford offered one. It was about maybe close to a year ago now. And it got over 100,000 enrollees really fast, 160,000 or something. And you hear those big numbers, and they're true, but uh, maybe 10% of the people complete them. It's, it's really easy to sign up. Uh, but, but still, even if only 10% of 160,000 people complete a course, yeah. that's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think it's, it's a really interesting thing. It's going to have – I have no idea how it's going to end up. I think they're really crude now. I've written some critical stuff about things that I've seen, and I just did a post, in fact, this week about uh, so, such as. Well, like, um, okay, like their hangouts think, crash what every I think time. Books have shown is the presentation scales. You can do a presentation for one hundred sixty thousand people or whatever, and that kind of works. Even though the the videos I've got, I could get way more specific about what's what's wrong with the video players, but leaving that aside. What doesn't scale is spontaneity and kind of the interaction that takes place in a classroom. And also oh, another, sorry. another thing that doesn't scale is uh, like Stanford's been a big pusher of this. But if you take a course at Stanford, you uh, make a lot of good contacts, not just your classmates, but you know Eric Schmidt comes as a guest lecturer and the VC communities around there. So there's... There's a lot of social contacts that a place like Stanford or Harvard or MIT end up giving you. That isn't uh, you that most of what on. you hope to get out of the college experience? Is those contacts so that when you do graduate, you know where to get a job at? That's that's certainly part of it. Especially or you know the, the people. Levels. I, another, I mean, I say Stanford, IIT, the Indian Institute of Technology. Those guys are all over the world, and they're a really tight club too. Um, so elite universities, I think, you get a, you get social advantages as as well as the education. And in fact, I think it's it's a, a guy that's a professor at Stanford and a really great researcher may not be a very good candidate for teaching a MOOC or teaching anything. But but I think that the the people that are end up teaching MOOCs are going to end up being people that specialize in teaching MOOCs. And they do it as a full-time job. If you have, even if only sixteen thousand students graduate, you can afford a full-time professor and a video crew, and you know five support people, um, and you're still way money ahead. So I, I think it's got a long way to evolve. 
But don't um, we we see that with most things tech? The always the first iteration is uh, learning yeah, and it's totally. crap and it sucks. I mean, yeah. so that's expected. I, but what's interesting is where it's going to go and what absolutely. people think they want to do with it that drives what it eventually becomes. I agree. And that's 100%. cool. Like I, I made my student, I showed in class this week uh, <clears throat> video footage of Ivan Sutherland running the uh, his Sketchpad program. You know, the beginning of computer graphics. And yeah, it's totally, I mean, it's, but it, it I remember used, dazzle uh, draw on my Apple two C and it, oh, like yeah, that. What you could, later, man. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying like in comparison as like a, let's say version oh, yeah. two yeah. iteration of what you were talking about, it was much better, but it was yeah. still, you look at Photoshop now it's like compare, I mean, come oh, on. Yeah. It's it, amazing. Exactly. But you can, you, that's how it gets born. It gets born. It, exactly. Especially. And the, then the community the or the flyer went like a couple hundred feet on its first flight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now we're later on the moon. Yeah, uh, exactly. So no, I really agree. This is just the start and it'll be really interesting to see a, how it ends being structured and the tools people use and B what's going to be the impact on the university. Um, I can build a scenario that you... she was going to disappear. Larry, do you think this is going to do to main university business models what it's done to print and yeah. cable and stuff like that? Do you think it'll have the same disruptive yeah, effect? I think it really I don't I won't say yeah, I, I do, but I think it's quite possible. And maybe and, not as profound as what we've seen in print, but at least certainly enough to to lower prices or change the way they do textbooks or some. There will be some sort of disruption in this area soon. I, I totally agree. And, you know, if the university shrinks radically, I, one thing may happen is that places like Stanford and MIT, you know, the elite universities become way more important. And that the CSU kind of thing that Mike, like Mike says, CSU, Cal State University, where I teach, uh, they're they're going to start trying to offer, you know, they have a CSU online. They're going to offer regular classes and give degrees online and charge, you know, good money for them. Uh, they're not looking at, though I have a proposal in, but right now CSU has no commitment to do giant free MOOCs, you know, and it's not clear to me that they ever will. I think, too, it uh, also depends... I, th I think it also depends on, on the content being taught. I think some things translate much better in that medium than other things. I think yeah. if you were doing like a car mechanic class, it maybe I don't I don't think that would work as well as if you were doing like a computer programming class or like uh, the example I always like to use is the girl I work with at the office where I work at here. She's doing a, a paralegal class online and each week, you know, I, I think I mentioned it before, but they have the lecturer. He has a window. And then there's a, another pane that has the class in it, and everyone's asking questions virtually. And then he, the lecturer in his window, answers the questions and gives his lecture, and then that's how the class goes. And she's, so I mean, synchronous. The students are all there at the same time, right? But on right, right, and that that it's a little different than than what this is. You know, the but. the proposal I have in is to run in lockstep with the MOOC an on campus section. And the video of that on the campus section and edit it down and, and present that along, you know, each week along with the move to try to do whatever I can to get the, the class into it, to get some of the, the, the class spontaneity and interaction. Well, and think uh, about this, too. If if they start now and they get this infrastructure and this this foundation built when Google Glass is done. And when when other 
types of iteration of of this this sort of computing i mean what would that do for this when everybody can record or when the the lecture can record and everyone can hang out that way i just think like when i was a kid in school and i missed like a week of school from being sick or something like that like the amount of makeup work was just overwhelming if i could have sat at home and just like flipped on my google hangout and did the work like i don't know i i think that that's such a great it, it, it's almost creepy though because when do you get to the point where you just have cameras in the classroom streaming 24 7 like i i don't i don't know that that's kind of i don't, don't want to in my case i wouldn't stream i would record maybe have a and, and then edit. post after the fact just and, the content and, and, and edit it somehow do post production right right post it two hours later uh and that's just one of the one of the assets that the students in the MOOC have uh, you need to do online office hours. You need to, uh, like in my class, I do current event kind of stuff. That comes when, like, even if you just did an IRC room where you were idle wars, you know, it's just a place that people could dip in and out of as they needed to ask you a quick question or something. I think all of those tools put together, like, it makes your job way easier and it makes school more fun, I think. I don't, the other I don't know. thing that, the other answer that, like, Coursera especially is taken to, to that is, if you have 16,000 students, you can't sit in a chat room with them. Right, um, but what are the but, chances but, that all 16,000 of them are in the chat room at the same time? Like, you're not doing it, unless you're doing a lecture and using it that way. But, but I'm saying keeping Sarah it... has done, and, and others, is they encourage the students to form ad hoc small groups. Of right, their own. and that's also a good... But, but I'm saying keep does. the chat room as, like, your 24-7 open mm-hmm. office that people can just roll in and out of as they need, you know, and you can yeah. see it as you need it or whatever. I mean, there's there's a ton of things that you could do. You just got to figure out a filtering system for it. That's about hey, it. Hey, Larry, one of the things IRC I think box. I heard you say earlier is that you think you, you think there will emerge a, a, a sort of a class of uh, professional... Uh, Teachers. teachers of uh, moves and not just teachers Mike also like video production people at yeah, yeah. You, can, you can put a whole staff on something with 16,000 students in it yeah a- absolutely and but I wonder what that says about you know is teaching becoming a sort of a, a, a is, is there going to emerge a star system in which there's like this uh, studio of stars that teach courses and then there's everybody else or or will there be well don't we already see that isn't else? isn't that like neil degrasse tyson and people like that aren't they almost the stars of this whole is that what you're talking about or am i yeah but but on a much broader basis you know if, right, if right. You... But there's room for a, I, I agree i think that yeah there will but i don't think they'll necessarily the best be the best researchers in the field plus i think that'd be a a shame if it were, because to me, if you're going to really have a MOOC and you're, you're going to teach a thousand students every semester, that's a full time job. At that point, though, isn't it all about the niche rather than the broad? You you and get these highly many, specialized. University, look at the university catalog. There's, you know, many many hundred courses. But each each there's niche. A lot of people teaching. The the thing I would say, Mike, is let's let's assume, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you can imagine like run-of-the-mill, you know, average universities like the CSU system really shrinking and, and having very relatively few teachers, like you say, that are maybe kind of teaching stars uh, that probably don't do research. But all the other faculty at the CSU right now 
they're going to be out of a job and they're not only going to stop teaching, the research they do is going to disappear. And that is a, that's a worrisome thing. If you consider the research they do is, is valuable and a lot of it isn't, but a lot of it is. So, cause professors do way more than teach. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that you, lot, that's sort of what I'm getting at. That loss of research is a sort of good and there's that, that would be lost. And there's, there's also a, a homogenization of the curriculum. You know, right now, if you have a course, maybe it's uh, 19th century uh, American political history, uh, you know, you line up 100 professors who teach that, and they're going, to, they're going to have a lot of variance in what gets taught and what gets emphasized. Now, you, you can that into a, uh, a however many hour videoed production, and there's going to emerge one truth, which I find a little alarming. But I, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and that that would be scary. I kind of don't think, though, it gets down to you know one introduction to statistics course. There will be fifteen, and fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Especially the humanities, there'll be multiple. But I mean, look how many students we have in universities today. I I don't have any numbers, but I'm sure it. Let Let's say each MOOC graduates two thousand people. You can still support a lot of people teaching American history. Uh, so I think I more think importantly, just to have it there for people that want it, you know, it, just to have the access available, even if people aren't like a bunch of people aren't using it or whatever, it, to have it there, more people will eventually start to use it once it becomes a known. It's not just all canned stuff that you record once and walk away. It's it really that's why I keep saying it needs a like my class could easily use a full-time person. Uh, each week I spend about an hour on uh, either... Show notes? Class on, huh? right, on writing show notes? On writing show notes. <laughs> uh, feedback, to the class, feedback to the class about how they're doing and misconceptions they had on the... Quizzes. I mean, Larry, as a teacher, isn't the most important part of it the discussion where that's where the the good back and forth comes from? That's where the good ideas come from? So you no, have that. your video that's the main body of, of the information you're conveying, and then below that you have the discussion, the comment thread, whatever, and that's where the really good back and forth takes place. And that kind of simulates the classroom interaction. Yeah, and you can try to do that in like uh, comments on blog posts or you know, or however you post your material, you can have uh, threaded discussion and whatnot with it. But that's still not going to catch that. I still, I'm, I'm just hypothesizing. I still want to. If I would like to have a video crew record the class itself and get the discussion and the questions and the answers and the stuff that pops into my head that's not in the presentation, right, right, as it's as it's going on. Um, and the other thing, like I said, every, I spend at least an hour a week or uh, not an hour, 45 minutes a week, just on kind of current events, the kind of stuff that, like you say, I write blog posts about it, but then that also becomes a topic. You could almost have a side class uh, on its own of just that material. I bet once a week or whatever. Yeah. That would be kind of a fun thing to do too. Um, just to, Hey, what's happening this week? So anyway, that's what keeps the whole thing from being canned. In my case, at least, you know, a good part of it can be canned. Well, and, uh, I mean, isn't the very definite? Isn't aren't paper textbooks the very definition of canned? I mean, how often do those get updated? Oh, yeah. A living document online is so much more. Even a wiki type of format or a framework 
It's so much. It's been it's been ten years since I've used the textbook. All of my (laughs) teaching material is online. That a boy. All right, let's uh, move on. We got about ten minutes left, and I know not everybody that listens to Yats cares as much about this stuff as we do. So let's we'll mix it up a little bit. Uh, You guys know it's that time of year again where. This lady, her name is Mary Meeker. She publishes her famed Internet Trends Report. Are but you this ready? This is an off-season one, isn't it? This isn't the famous one, is it? Isn't this just like I just old... made it famous. Don't take away from that. Oh, right? the one she does every year is famous. <laughs> this is just like a little foot, a mid-year correction or something. This is a mid-year update. There yeah. she gets. Thank you, Mike. But still. Still in the thunder. <laughs> she man. Matt, Matt, what what are the major takeaways from this thing? I don't know, Mike. You posted this in the doc. Why don't you tell me? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, her message is that uh, we haven't seen anything yet from Android, that the adoption is ramping up at like a factor of six times faster than iOS devices. And of course you can say that that's because there is one iPhone per whatever and there is like a billion Android devices per whatever. And we talked about this on Attack of the Androids last night that Android turned five. Happy birthday, Android. Uh, at least the definition from the, the Open Handset Alliance from when Android first started there. Uh, and that it also, what was it? 80, 70%? I forget. But they have a grip of market share. Like, and it's... It's only projected to get bigger and bigger, more devices and, yeah. and whatnot. And, and is, she, is she talking about phones or tablets or both? Tablets, well, I would think it's not that great. Yeah, she is I speaking think specifically it is. about smartphones. Uh, and she's got a slide that shows adoption uh, and the, the huge upside, the huge growth that is going to be seen uh, in uh, 2012 and going into 2013, you, you know, she's seeing by the end of this calendar year, a billion smartphones in use. This is obviously globally, uh, but 5 billion mobile phone users. Uh, and, the, you know, the premise is as the price of smartphones drops into the same range as the price of mobile phones that a, a lot of that you know you could see the growth from 1 billion to 6 billion happen very quickly yeah it's where it's at these things are cool people want them people see other people on them and they want them and and i mean it's a gaming platform and it's a business kind of almost platform and it's my camera and it's my internet lifeline to election coverage and i mean it's becoming so many things besides a way to pick up a phone and dial a number to talk to somebody like it's i don't know it's it's transcended that one-on-one vocal conversation tool to something that's our life i mean it's our life it's organizing it's sharing it's uh, documenting it's banking it's you know it's our life now it's crazy to say that but it it is and maybe it's not for everybody but you know the really crazy thing is that the the four of us you know although we've got a lot of differences among us the four of us live in this first world uh right 
slice of, of the world. And a lot of these sales are going into kind of third world countries as well. Well, we've said and this before. A lot of these devices are people's first computers. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. an, an awful lot of countries are still in the world of 3G and 2G. Like what you just said, where there's 5 billion phones and 1 billion smartphones. Yeah. It ain't the same as what we're doing everywhere. The other, the other sort of interesting piece of research out today is a piece by Gartner, which is the, you know, this sort of commercial, the big commercial technology consulting firm. Uh, and they're seeing uh, 1.2 billion smart devices. So now they're, they're combining phones and tablets uh, sold uh, during 2013. And it frankly sounds like their projection is lower than Maker's projection, but still an enormous number of these tablets, tablet-like devices out in the world. Well, and, and are, are seven-inch tablets, how's the uh, iPhone, the miniature iPad doing it? And the seven-inch Androids, is seven inches becoming a really It'll be popular. doing better next year when they drop the iPad mini with retina display. Yeah. Sorry, it's just something I saw. And speaking, Mike, going back to what you said uh, on AOTA last night, Shane brought up the Internet of Things, and and about how even even in like politics and the election and voting, Android seemed to be the perfect choice for an open source, transparent operating system that you could use to run these election machines, these ballot thing. You know, it, it's not just phones and tablets like Android. It, and I only say that because iOS is not open and you would need something open that everyone could, you know, what well, I'm talking about security wise and everything, but it, there, it can be used for so many other things like that. The internet of things that it, it eventually becomes. It's really interesting to see those numbers escalate so quickly. It, it is interesting. And, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how you, how you, absorb your election coverage. What I'm seeing is that uh, less and less, increasingly people are going to be watching less and less television and they're going to get their, their news, their sports, their entertainment, their movies off of uh, these handheld devices. And especially once we see that higher speed bandwidth, I'm talking like gigabit, dark fiber lit up. Once we see that sort of stuff happen, it'll be able to handle it better for a mass audience. Which is why we need the, uh, the, the newly reelected administration to make that a national goal for the next few years. That's right. Obama, have your people call Google's people and, yes. and, and take yeah. care of it. If you don't have the number, Google it. Okay. <laughs> if you don't have the number, Google it. That's what I'm saying. And I, I don't know. I do also hope that in... In the explosion of all of these smart devices and whatnot, I do hope that they get smarter about how they're disposing of their old, not-so-smart devices, because there's a lot of them, and we need to do something better than just throwing them in the ground, I think. Just saying. No, no question about it. Just saying. All right, uh, and let's see. Before we get out of here, we heard rumors rumbling back and forth uh, in the months leading up to the Surface and RT, Microsoft Windows 8 uh, coming out and everything. If you if you we would ever see Microsoft Office for mobile, for iPhone, iPad, Android, some people said yes, yeah, some people said nope. 
Uh, and The Verge has a piece, uh, an exclusive here. It says that Microsoft Office for iPhone, iPad, and Android revealed coming in early 2013. Cool. Is that with them coming out with their new line of the mobile computer, the p- tablet and their phone and stuff, do you think because they held off for so long, why didn't they hold off a little longer? And say, look, if you want this stuff, come try our tablets at least. Instead, I mean, 2013, that will only have had Windows 8 or Metro, whatever we're calling this thing, uh, (laughs) only out for not even, you know, half a year, really. I mean, I don't don't know. What what do you guys think? I think what's interesting in this story is, is it's early 2013. So Microsoft Surface is being marketed with a fairly massive advertising budget now uh, and uh, has, has been in the Microsoft stores for a couple of weeks now running and, and giving away with the purchase price of the tablet a, uh, you know, the four most popular components of Microsoft Office. So they're giving my, the Microsoft hot, Office on tablets a good four or five month lead in the market before they release it to iOS and Android. I think that's no surprise, but it's it's an, it's further evidence that Microsoft. This is a new Microsoft we're dealing with. Microsoft a year or two ago would not have been releasing apps into the competitors' uh, tablet space. No. But you what have it to, is, is they're you, probably you, trying to get ready to, to corner that rim BlackBerry 10 market that's coming out in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hold on, hold on. Did you just make another rim joke? Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. But think of it this way. Also, back in in their day, they didn't have other alternatives that were actually feasible like we have now. So think about it. The longer they wait, the more accustomed we get to be dealing with Google Docs and Open Office and whatever else you're using. And we don't need them. And they slowly they're not in our minds anymore as much as, you know, they, they maybe were back in the day when Office XP was the first thing you downloaded after you downloaded Windows XP. It was like I mean you had to have it. But now we have we have choices and that's awesome. Mm. choice is a good thing what do we do all this stuff in we're not sharing word docs back and forth i mean we open a google doc and there it is and you know we could invite the public to come in and look at our doc if we wanted to i mean it's cool like that you know but in real life where you're doing other things than just sharing something quickly online don't you go back to office no i don't even have it installed anymore i'm all living in google docs I, I got I got my work office to to start incorporating that stuff to it. Yeah. We it's were nice. really close to using GDocs. We were on place. a SCO Unix terminal running into a server in like DOS command line. I mean, that's what this and I don't know if I it's called Water Software and it was developed back in the 80s and it's what people are still using. We're still using it. We're just now switching over to uh, QuickBooks. But it was, well, you know, there it was a a niche market for all of these water stores that needed routes tracked, work orders that they needed it to do a certain thing, and you know, that was the answer. I think what you are seeing, you know, I I, I actually think 
large organizations are are staying for the most part with uh, the Microsoft Office suite, but I think the competition is bringing the price of the Office suite down substantially. Well, and new, smaller, or even not smaller, but just starting out businesses, if they see that it's possible to do a lot of this, or it's recommended to them by their nerdy IT guy that listens to Yats, that like, hey, you don't have to buy $300 worth of Office licenses. Try this for free. I think one thing they're doing for sure is it's all been announced. I can't tell you prices, but they're going to go to a, uh, you will be able to buy office, but for enterprise and whatnot, you're going to uh, lease it. You're going to, you know, subscribe to it. It's not going to be a buy and install one kind of keep it for five years. sort of. Thing. And, and that's, that's true today. Actually, this uh, Microsoft office 365 is the product name and prices are announced on the Microsoft website and they are, they're very competitive. But that's that doesn't have the full power of, let's say, Word or PowerPoint, does it? This it is, does, Larry. The, does it really? Yeah, there, there are now two tiers of stuff. You can, as, as anyone, I mean, anyone can use the Microsoft Web Apps, which are sort of uh, Fisher-Price Fisher versions of the of Microsoft Office. Are they comparable to Google Docs and their? Yeah, they're co- exactly, and they're free, and they're 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 pretty good. Mm-hmm. But for I think it is for, uh, for retail folks like us, consumers like us, I think it's six dollars a month for a subscription to Office three sixty five that buys you twenty five gigs of storage, sixty minutes a month of Skype time, and a full. A, uh, uh, a license to use the full suite of Microsoft Office products. And you install on, on my, your machine? or Installed on your machine. Actually installed on up to a total of five machines of yours. For six altogether or six each? That's $6 altogether per month. Wow. Yeah. So what happens it, when you quit paying your $6? Your, you no longer, your, uh, what is it called, authentication or, uh, you know, they, they electronically revoke your ability to use the software. You have to go and download a, a copy of WPA Cracker at that point. You know, how long till somebody breaks <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. It, it, it won't take long, according to Matt. And Ant's already working on it. And no there goes Ant. And I just want to... I just want to say we're at the end of, of our, our hour here. Hey, Ant, how's it feel? I'm just saying he used to give me so much crap when we first started these shows using Hangouts because my always crash, and now look at it. What's up, Ant Pruitt? How's your Hangout experience? Just saying. It's not very Ooh, fun, is it? It's not very fun. At least, at least I'm not taking screenshots of it. He would always like take screenshots of it, like, ah, look at this dumb well, guy. Let me ask. Okay, I'm looking at the thing right, and I see Matt just fine when he's talking. Um, oh, I bet, I bet, I, yeah, never mind. Yeah. So what's I just up? Discovered something new about the user interface that you can click on somebody to have them in the main window yeah, all the time. I, no, no, that you can click on somebody and have them, uh, yeah, stick there and disappear. Yeah. But um, it, the thing, oh, well, never mind. But don't, 
Okay, I haven't touched my mouse since I sat down, and things have changed. Are you able to manipulate us? Things have definitely changed. There's a thing for, I mean, the interface, the UI has changed, obviously. On the left-hand side, you have your your Hangout apps, your invite, your chat, and and whatnot. I was asking, are you... I can manipulate... Can you mute me and... Yeah, but I think everyone else has that capability. Me as the Hangout owner, I can do the cameraman app, which means I can fade you guys in and out, stuff like that. But it's not none of. I don't find very much of this stuff useful. What I would really find useful if Google listens to this is when people come and go from Hangouts. If you can make it not beep, because I swear every episode I go through it and edit out. See that I'm gonna have to go through and edit that out because I hate it when i listen to podcasts and i hear that ding so if they could fix that <laughs> that would be fantastic hey ant how you doing there bud crashing crashing hangouts hang out this, this crashing is horrible hang out killer you sound like a stylon again hang out killer what's up <laughs> all right that's gonna do it for us i got south park to watch thank you guys for listening yet another tech show yats Aunt Pruitt, Larry Press, Mike Rothman, I'm Matt Lee. Every week, yetanothertechshow.com. Email the crew at yetanothertechshow.com. You can leave us messages on our Skype at 406-204-4687. And check out the show. Check out the site. Vote for us on the iTunes and rate us and review us and all that good stuff. And uh, they, we have a tech playlist with this show and Attacking the Androids and some, some old episodes of Buffer Overflow Show. Over 63 hours of free content, just saying. Enjoy it. If and, you're on the live feed, check out my Google Plus right now, folks. I just stuck a feeler out there about my ongoing Hangout problem. Linux user. Maybe y'all got some insight. Maybe it's greatly appreciated. Maybe you should get a Hangout PC. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should try it on the tablet. I bet you could do the Hangout on a tablet if you plugged in a headset. Just saying. I, I've done a Hangout before. I don't know how the, the audio quality would be, though. Hey, have we ever hung out before? Was yeah. that a toilet flushing? All right, that's it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Yetanothertechshow.com. We'll catch you next week. Peace out. Tech Show. Check us out online at yetanothertechshow.com.